folks. The dog days of summer are officially behind us. Now it's August 1st. Fall camp is in full swing. And here at Lockdown Seminoles, we're back to the daily five days a week format. And what better way to kick it off than another mandatory mailback Monday? Max, you ready? I'm ready. Folks, and always before we get into it, thank you guys so much for the love and support and making Locked On Seminoles your first listen each and every single day. Now, with that being said, let's go on with the show. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here. I'm joined by Mr. Maximus Mudicus, who actually just came back in from Tampa, Florida. Max, how was the trip? It was good, man. It was good. It's always a good trip down there. It's hot. Um, had a birthday party for the Wee One. That was good. It's always nice to was there do a that. Uh, there was not, they, they, yeah, it was unicorn-themed, actually. There was uh, a little unicorn party hats. They had a cake. Um Look, if y'all have kids and you want to have a birthday party, never host it at your house. Uh, this year, we just had it at a place. It was wonderful. It was Playgrounds of Tampa is what it's called. Uh, shout out to Braden, who was our party host. He was great. Set everything up for us. Took everything down. We had to do basically nothing besides buy the stuff. So, Well, I think, you've got, I think you've got some big news, too, to share. I mean, while we're sharing, if, if it's going to be a sharing episode, you know. Oh, yes. I got a new haircut this weekend, folks. As you can tell, if you're watching this on YouTube, cut it down because as my folks were telling me and Max was trying to subtly kind of inform me that uh, it ain't talking about your haircut. Suck. Not talking about your haircut. Talking about CJ Hurd uh, being committed actually over the weekend. So Drake got engaged this weekend. It's really <laughs> exciting stuff. It's a, it's a partnership almost as good as us and our title sponsor today, Built Bar. And hopefully a partnership as good as the one that the Florida State Seminoles have just landed in the defensive back from Jacksonville State. But Drake, let's uh let's give the people what they want. Let's dive into some questions. Let's hit the mailbag. What do we got? Well, let's see. Let's go with our first question from a J.A. A. Staffen from nine hours ago. Uh, he asks, why would any top-tier wide receiver go to FSU when they have no quality QB or QB recruits? And I think that's kind of basically speaking because we had Hakeem Williams in town as well as Jalen Brown, the wide receiver uh, prospecting out of Louisiana, who is currently committed to LSU. So, Max, you're a little more of the um, person that believes actually in the future of the QB room with a Jordan Travis. I kind of want you to address this question, too, because, you know, you've been probably the most critical on Ron Dugans and also basically wide receiver recruiting, skill business recruiting in general. I kind of want you to handle this one real quick. Yeah, great, great question. So, first of all, folks, thanks for the questions. We love we love questions. Um the premise comes from a place of pessimism. Uh, why would a blue chip receiver look here when we don't have a QB room? Well, Jordan Travis has made it very clear he does not intend to be here when they would be here. Um, and A.J. Duffy is on your roster right now, and he was the 11th or 10th best quarterback in the previous class. So yeah. I just disagree with your premise that there's not a future in the quarterback room. If uh, Yeah, I just I don't agree. So I think the the... The prospect is, hey, you have the 11th best quarterback in the country from the year before. By the way, we're in on some decent guys. I think it was West Virginia just had a top 15 quarterback decommit over the weekend. I am fully confident that if you were able to win football games this season, you're going to be fine in the QB room. Again, this time respectively in like 2019, 2020, and 21, Sam Howell was not committed to USC, or uh, sorry, UNC. 
Luke Altmaier was not committed to Ole Miss. And uh, who was the other one? Nico, where did he end up? Arpio went to West Virginia. Went to West Virginia. Uh, ironic. Um, Nico ended up going to West Virginia, and we got A.J. Duffy. Like, QB boards, and I want to do an analysis on this. I just admittedly can't find the information um, of, like, where people were committed in July versus where they signed. But the key here is going to be winning games because if you don't win six games, Mike Norvell gets fired, and none of these kids are coming here, and none of this conversation matters. But if you win eight or nine games this year, with a top 10 QB sitting there probably going to be your starter the following year, I think it's a really attractive place for a wide receiver. And I don't I don't know why it wouldn't be, I guess. I think it's also more that I think the potential is seen there, with I guess, with A.J. Duffy. Because I'm in the camp as you are where I think this will be Jordan Travis's last year, barring basically, you know, maybe a 6-6 six and six season. He doesn't perform very well. He kind of wants to upgrade his stock or stay for another year. Because basically, I think he's like 24 now. He'll go actually for his Masters if he stays here for another season. But to me... Is Jordan Travis's last year, and you sell the prospect of an AJ Duffy, who, as you said, was a top 175 prospect, number 11 in the country at, the, at his position overall. And to me, that's someone that you can actually probably see yourself playing with if you're wide receiver. And now you have a Johnny Wilson, a Micah Pittman, and Deuce Span, who apparently is lighting it up over at um during fall camp, that actually can show you the proof of concept as, as being a wide receiver. Because basically, what's been more of the issue here is the wide receivers haven't been put in a position to succeed when they actually, if they are talented enough to actually succeed at their position. So to me, I think you're right. If we win eight games, kids are going to look at us. I think Amory Williams, the backup to Miami right now to Jaden Rashada, will be someone that actually we'll probably be talking about a lot more later down the line. And that's kind of where I stand on, I stand on the issue. Yeah, I don't know that. Like the, I think the wide receivers haven't, have been put in places to succeed. They've just been bad at football. I mean, we really haven't had any good wide receivers under Mike Norvell. Norvell likes receivers. Norvell played receiver too. Like you have a head coach that played and prioritizes the position. Uh, I hate that we're in this spot, but you can sell playing time to him immediately, which is what most kids want. And again, with Jordan Travis, let's say he does stay another year. Uh, again, I we kind of disagree on this. I think he only stays another year if he has a really good year and someone gets in his ear and says, hey, if you want to play quarterback, not special teams, the NFL, you need to replicate that year one more time. Mm-hmm. I think a bad year the coaching staff probably moves him along and says, Hey, we're going to, you know, start prepping for the future. Um, But yeah. So if he's coming back, you got a 63% passer throwing you the ball that, you know, has a three to one touchdown interception ratio. Like when a, when a wide receiver needs to worry about the quarterback room is like Andrew Parchment with a fourth string guy who should be playing receiver next to him, throwing him the football. Like you're talking D one power five caliber quarterbacks here. What I think you is a bigger question is if the offensive line doesn't get fixed, a receiver is going to want to come here because a lot of kids can throw them the ball if they can get themselves open. It's will they have time to and will the offense be able to be successful running the ball to set them up for better uh, success on you know easy second downs, easy third downs instead of them being asked, hey, hope you like trying to convert third nines. I think it's also that I think we've discussed, and this is the word we disagree a little bit. I think that the playbook has actually been very limited with Jordan Travis actually being the main quarterback, but we did see towards the end of last season, it did kind of open up a little bit more when JT was fully healthy. I think he attempted what 25, I guess, attempts per game, which if the way, all the way our offense is actually set up, I think basically you kind of want that kind of round number because our true strength is actually the running game. So potentially I think this will be the year that actually the wide receivers will be actually be able to see that. Oh, you kind of somewhat throw the ball just a little bit more, but also you have a little more success. And we'll probably discuss actually those, you know, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Those small little statistical improvements we want to see when Dave comes on tomorrow. But I think that's kind of more, more 
or you and I get for. But folks, t- let's talk about our friends over at LinkedIn. Max, you're a big LinkedIn guy, right? I like LinkedIn. Big fan. Big fan, big fan. And folks, so am I. Actually, as y'all know, I went to law school in Baltimore and my networking group was kind of confined to the DMV area. So when I moved back down here to South Florida, I needed help finding a job and LinkedIn was the best place to go best place to go to. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on college to post your job for the free, for the free, for free. Terms and conditions come up when I apply. And we are back and we are rocking and rolling with another mentor on Mailbag Monday. And Max, this next question comes from a friend of ours near and dear to our heart. You know what it is? Uh, it could, this could go a couple ways. Who is it? It's Danny freaking Domino. Oh, Domino okay, so it is Danny actually a friend Domino. of ours. All right. I was like, yeah. Who, who, think, who think is what I would bring it up? Oh, dude, there's so many on the internet. Who knows? Uh, so many internet trolls. But uh, Danny asked, actually, and this actually think was a really good question. He said that he said, I saw an interesting thing where all UF recruits are from within 150 miles of Gainesville, showing that they're prioritizing locking down a local area. If FC doesn't start getting more involved locally, could this really this could really put them at a huge disadvantage geographically, geographically with UF and Miami recruiting the area so well? How should UF com- uh, how should FSU combat this? Well, to do that, you got to think about the geography of of Florida. So 150 miles within UF is going to include Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa. 150 miles within Tallahassee includes Pensacola. Maybe, yeah, I guess Jacksonville would be included in there. Um, and that's about it. And then some of southern Georgia. I don't I don't know if 150 miles quite gets you to Columbus. It, it may. Um, so I understand the question, but I think it's a bit of a misleading stat because two of the major population centers in Florida, Orlando and Tampa, I believe would be re- included in their 150 and excluded from yours. However, that, that doesn't change the fact that he's right and you need to beat uh, these two teams in the state of Florida. The state of Florida has some of the best recruits in the in the country, plain and simple. It's Florida, California, Texas, Arizona, right? Like in Arizona only recently. And I guess Ohio, some Pennsylvania, like those are the states you need to lock down and you are located in one of those. And if you're not locking that state down, you're going to have trouble, I guess. That being said, in today's day and age, Drake, and you know this, and this is going to, it's kind of nuanced, but I don't think being in Florida really gives you any advantage with Florida kids anymore. And I don't even think you need to lock them down because you're in Florida and they're in Florida. You just need to do it because Florida has the best recruits. If you're Georgia, you need to lock down Florida. If you're North Carolina, you need to lock down Florida recruits. If you're Alabama, you need to lock down Florida recruits. It's just a state you have to recruit well in, and we haven't been doing that currently. Um, and, and again, I don't think being in Tallahassee just geographically gives you much advantage because, I mean, Drake, you're from South Florida. South Florida, everywhere but Gainesville and Miami is basically in a different state. It's an eight It's an eight to 12-hour drive, depending on how far south you're talking, right? Like, even if you get up to Tampa, Orlando, Atlanta's the same distance as those. So you're not like, it's not like Tallahassee's right down the road. Like if you're Auburn and you're recruiting a kid from Opelika, you don't inherently have the advantage you used to have when like your coaches could go scout these areas that other coaches couldn't because now you have social media and you know about these kids so early and you're trying to appeal to them, but saying, Hey, we're in Florida. It's like, yeah, it's, 
it's effectively a plane ride no matter where where you go if you're down in South Florida. Um, I, I think I deviated from the question a bit, but yeah, I, we need to recruit the state of Florida better, but because it's the state of Florida, not because like it's our home turf. Do you think? Then I kind of want to ask you this. This is a question for me, and this kind of might be piggybacking a little bit off of what Danny just said. Uh, we saw with C.J. Hurd committing. He's a 2024 safety. He's from the – I think he's from Woodward Academy, which is in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Will you see how this lack, the staff has uh, deficiencies when it comes to recruiting these Florida talents, whether it be in South Florida or, or the I-4 corridor as a whole? Do you think that FSU needs to probably do a full-core pressure in, actually a little bit more towards the southern Georgia area? Yes. I think that there's a lot of talent emerging in the southern Georgia area. I think the Atlanta area has a ton of talent, and I think that you're having a lot of success there. I mean, I know it happened at the last minute, whatever, the Travis Hunter thing, but you had that locked down. You know, you see some great quarterbacks. Like, where I live, if you throw a football in one direction, you're out in Lawrenceville. Okay, not that close, but it's pretty close, right? And then you've got Kennesaw right down the other way, like – two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL came from those two places, right? So it's like you have tons of talent in this area. And yeah, if it's not working out a little to the South, go a little to the North. Like I said, you need to lock down Florida because that's where the best recruits are coming from. But I don't really care where guys come from as long as, you know, so they're good recruits and you're winning games. And the other thing I'll say is there, uh, I'm trying to think how delicately I want to put this. There is a certain non-market economy you have to deal with in South Florida that has been built up for quite some time now and has a lot of infrastructure that exists in other states, but not to the same degree. So it is a bit easier to navigate these out-of-state talented guys in Georgia than it is to break into um, all the layers you have to break into to recruit South Florida successfully. So then I'm going to ask you this then. Say Mike Norvell is replaced by you. Max, you are now the head football coach at FSU. Or actually, no, you are, no, you, you are basically. Hope you guys aren't setting standard at 10 wins. <laughs> no, standard is going to be at 12. We're going to get you fired in the first season. Um, yeah. Joking. But Max, you take over Yak's job, which is the recruiting coordinator. So basically, how would you, I guess, allocate you resources when it comes to recruiting these kids? Because we, as we said, the staff has, I've seen better, I guess, success when it comes to non-Florida kids and specifically in the Georgia area. So where would actually you probably allocate all of res- all of all of our resources to basically uh, fuel up this team and basically not only rebuild but reload? I see what you're going for. I just I admittedly do not understand enough about resource allocation with a staff of 12 recruiters to answer the question. Frankly, um, just in theory, I would say I would look at positionally where we have the most needs. I would look at what camps those kids go to, and that's what I would start hammering, and it would change year to year. I just, I'm not wed to geography because I think that that creates weird myths. Again, like, oh, you've got to recruit the best, like, you know, you've got to recruit this area, you've got to recruit that area. No, you need to recruit the best players. Now, what happens is when you have 12 coaches on your staff, they're going to have connections and ties to certain areas that will make it better for them to, or easier for them to get into the high schools early to talk to the coaches and say, Hey, what kids from the middle school are you hearing are probably going to pop once they start going on the camp circuit and that kind of thing. So yeah, you, you end up having to allocate yourself to a spot and you say, Hey, Odell's got Polk County locked down because it's just, it becomes so efficient for him to be there. That being said, recruiting has gone so national that I just, I think, I think what, let me put this. I think what Norvell and company are doing right now is fine. They just haven't produced on the field yet, but they're getting kids from all over. And if you look at what this team has produced on the field, 
and you look at the recruiting classes they're getting, they're getting at, if not better, recruited classes than a team that won eight games in the past two years should be getting. And they're doing it by going all over. So I, I don't know. I That's how I would do it. I wouldn't isolate myself to a geography. Now, I'd make a lot of other changes on the recruiting trail. Um, but yeah, ge- geographics, geographics, yeah, whatever, wouldn't be one it's of them. It's a word now. It's a word now. We'll, we'll, we'll add that to basically what's the litmus barometer test that we have. There we go. Pending currently, yep. yeah, as they, well they, as they, a most delicious, sir, when it comes to built bars. Like all, we're going to add that to the Locked on Seminoles, uh, Noel's Anonymous lexicon. Love but, it, dude. Uh, but no, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I don't think you should limit yourself geographically. I just think it's more that, at, I think, falling by the wayside. Like now Miami seems to be fully, basically, I guess, like actually locked in and committed to actually getting a solid football team around them. Now we'll see actually what happens when the games are played and actually Mark Cristobal, who we saw him at, with, with Justin Herbert kind of uh, shrink a little bit in those bigger, bigger moments, even though he did beat Ohio State last year. He lost to Utah by what, a combined 100-something points? something dude i here's the thing the miami thing and, and for first time listeners this this will be interesting for those that know this already great you are competing against a guy who is barely a billionaire and i know like max are you saying there's like billionaires are yes there are different classes of billionaires it guys anywhere you go any socioeconomic area you find yourself in there are levels to this shit, all right Mar, what's his name? John Ruiz is barely a billionaire. The fluctuation of the market capitalization of his company can make him a billionaire one day, an 800 millionaire the next day, and maybe go even lower and a little bit higher. The reason I say that is because people who are worth $1.3, $1.4 billion do not buy professional sports teams. They can't afford it. I know you're thinking like, what do you mean they, they can't afford it? Look at how Derek Jeter had to try to buy the Marlins. He has to go get an owner. But I'm serious. He has to go get an ownership group. He has to get people with real money to give him money to do that. Like, you and can't buy alert, a sports team. The owner still doesn't have any money. Right. <laughs> you terrible. can't buy a sports team with $1 to $2 billion in net worth. If that's your whole net worth, sports teams are out of the question. So now, with NIL, John Ruiz gets to play sports team owner. That's what's happening in Miami. This guy has just decided... Hey, I've always wanted to own a sports team and I can do it for really, really cheap by doing it with the Miami Hurricanes through NIL deals. You can't compete with that right now because we don't have someone doing that. But we also have a guy whose company was allegedly worth 36, I think, $37 billion two years ago. And then the moron tried to take it public through a SPAC, which is, gosh, we could get into this forever. And if you want to hear my business opinions, you, you can hit me on Twitter or something. But like SPACs all failed that they were the cool thing on clubhouse that everyone was talking about who had a little bit everyone with the trust fund was trying to get into the investing game and trying to go get into SPACs and they were horrible and he still had to settle for one and that's how he went public and since then the values tanked so is this guy going to be a billionaire in three years i'm not so confident is he going to want to keep blowing millions and tens of millions of dollars on the miami football team i'm really not confident in that so mario cristobal in my opinion hasn't done a damn thing on the recruiting trail the money and which by the way plays into the shadow economy i spoke about that's what's doing it for miami on the recruiting trail and that's not a homer opinion that is something that you can talk to anyone that knows anything about the situation down there and they will tell you they are buying themselves a football team mario cristobal is not recruiting a football team and hey if someone at florida state wants to step up if sarah blakely wants to walk through the door and do the same thing tomorrow i'll be i'm I would defend to the death her right to do it, and I'd be fired up it's happening for us. But the premise that Mario Cristobal is doing something better than Mike Norvell is something I'm just not going to entertain because that's not what's happening. 
God, Spanks money would have to do great things for this team right now. Spanks money. And who's the, the Berkshire Hathaway guy also? Isn't another, another guy out there? Big yeah, Peter? Peter Thiel. Bring him in. That's his name. Bring yeah. him that, that, would be, that would be dope. Uh, oh. was, it, uh, was it Peter Thiel? No, Peter, no one it's of not the Peter Thiel. It's, uh, it's, no. It's some dude. Well, that is like, a Berkshire Hathaway guy. But, yeah, it's one of the like guys up there. Todd Combs is his name. But yeah. Folks, if you're like Max and also Dave and don't believe that Miami will reach their win total at over under eight and a half wins, head over to betonline.net today. And which is the fastest and easiest way to get all your latest betting needs, whether it be MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL. Combat sports, UFC 277 just happened. Massive payout with Nunez with the, with the unanimous decision. But folks, head on over to betonline.net today. Use promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Where you get a 100% bonus, welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. BetOnline, where the game starts. And Max, we've reached the end. It is Sunday. I know you've been traveling. I've been traveling. Let's send the folks home with some happier news and something that will probably, you know, stretch the brand a little bit more. You ready for that? Stretch it. So this isn't really a question. It's more of a statement that comes from over from Danny, who actually saw us over on the war chant, um, not the message boards, but I think Cora Clark wrote an article about it. And basically what was written was this. All of FSG players got more opportunities to do that on Sunday at Florida State, where perhaps the first time since Norvell took over, used both practice fields simultaneously for a couple of periods for 11 on 11 to ensure that everyone, first teamers, second teamers, and third teamers, get valuable reps. Now, one, hearing that's the first time to happen since what he's been here and we're in year three, that's already a red flag. But how do you think it's going to help out actually our team heading into this season? I, a lot. I mean, that's that's been the whole selling point of this team this year is you have 90% of your defensive production coming back. You've got 73% of your offensive production coming back, and you added a bunch of good people. So, yeah, that's that's really exciting stuff that you finally feel confident that you can run two sets of 11s because that's what you should be doing. I mean, the way a practice should look, you should have multiple position groups able – or I'm sorry, multiple people in each position group – able to form an 11 person team right like yeah it shouldn't be like oh we can kind of cobble together a one but then okay we can sub a few linemen and no you should be able to have like two full lines right five offensive linemen here five offensive linemen here and that's how you get a true first and a second string now when it gets really fun and this is something football teams have done for many years that i think at florida state we've forgotten about but is when you can have like a three deep and then you can have you know some scout teamers playing against them because you get 85 people. There's 22 starters. There's 22 second string, 22 third string. It's like you're only at 66, and then that leaves you room for like 20 specialists with the 85 scholarships. Or if you want to have a four deep, I mean, you you should be able to consistently have two scrimmage periods going. Uh, it's exciting. I mean, that's that's what we've been waiting for for several years. And you think back to like three or four years ago. I, I don't remember under Willie, under Mike, who, who cares? You know, you're hearing things about like, oh, they're they're having to put the scout team DN defensive line in just to let the starters actually win some reps, you know? And now you're hearing about two scrimmages at the same time. It's 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 awesome. At the same damn time as Future would say. But no, I think it's right. You're discussing basically how the depth of this team the depth of this team is actually much better. And then also the offensive line, like you're saying, we now have actually power five quality offensive alignment on the two deep, which is basically something that is remarkable, and I'm you know you're hearing great things from Julian Armella actually in practice. Who I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some burn towards the end of the season because that kid came in the camp in really really good shape and is already basically being 
sort of like a not a mentor, but is taking well some some lessons learned from Alex Atkins. Also, I I think you saw him one on one with Jared Verse discussing basically how to you know finish his reps and you know get the better reps coming in, and then also it probably prevents injuries too, right? Where basically you're not having the same guy trot out there every single damn time running two minute offense and up tempo offense back to back to back. So basically, it probably helps you know the team as a whole probably stay healthier in the long term. Well, yeah, and in practice, right, you can sub guys out while you're while you're getting them in shape. That's huge because you, you're look. Let's say you're practicing a two-minute offense, and we've seen these videos of them doing this, and you're running guys up, okay, and then, okay, stop. Okay, run up to the next play. Okay, we're going to set the ball here. Run up to the next play. That's great. That's how it needs to look in a game. But on day one of practice, like you're not in shape to do that. So, yeah, yeah, being able to, while you're doing that, change out, even if maybe you wouldn't in a game, is great because, yes, in a game, if you're going to run eight plays in a two-minute drill, you're going to want the same five guys on the offensive line to do it. I get that. But having guys where it's like, hey, we can sub out Gibbons real quick, and you know, because again, it's day two and he's not in the best shape he's going to be in. We could sub him out, and the next guy's not going to just totally screw up what we're trying to do. Yeah, that does help with the health. That helps with actually being able to build up conditioning. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting. I mean, here's here's the thing about Julian Armella Drake is like, it's great to hear that a kid is doing really well and came into camp in shape as a freshman. And yet I'm not thinking about him playing at all. Like it's not, so nice. not disagreeing what you said. He probably will get some playing time, but it's not like, you know, it, for instance, three years ago, it was like, man, Darius Washington's looking pretty good. We, we think he could play as a true. Friend. We think, we think, could he do it? You know, we need someone to play. Could he be? Yeah, we were basically begging for him and Dante Lucas to both start week one because like we knew we were really we were in the position we need alignment. Right, play. and now it's like, oh no, I, oh yeah, we're hearing great things. Julian Armel looks awesome, cool. Develop over the season, you know. Same on the defensive line, right? Aobami Tafasi looks like looks a awesome. grown <laughs> ass man, you know. And you're, you know, you see him out there, and I was, I was watching him on video, and you're like, yeah, and I don't care that he's not going to be able to play this year. Because we're so deep at D-line right now between guys like Malcolm Ray and guys like Fabian Lovett. And, you know, you got Robert Cooper, obviously. And it's like, yeah, now I get to look at a guy like Tafasi and be like, hey, he's the man. And he gets to sit on the bench, hit the weights, learn the plays, learn the calls, learn the checks. And next year he gets to contribute. I'm not like, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I know he's good, but is he good enough? No, it's great. It's great. The depth is phenomenal. And honestly, the more I watch, I, I may eat my words on this, the more I see the kid throw the ball, I'm feeling better and better about the quarterback room if Jordan Travis really? gets hurt. So here's what I thought about this weekend. Jordan Travis has never had a major injury. Jordan Travis has had injuries of attrition. and Like, he just gets banged up and eventually goes out. And this schedule this year versus last year, excluding Miami and Florida, is a flip, right? This is a very front-loaded schedule. So the type of injury you usually see from Travis, probably, if it happens, won't manifest itself till weeks five or week six. Dude, if you can get past the Clemson game at like five and two or four and three even, I think you have a quarterback in A.J. Duffy from the little bit of film we've seen, what we've heard in reports, and what the people I've talked to on the ground have told me, that if you're six or seven games in when Travis starts getting banged up, he probably isn't going to actively lose you a lot of football games, at least not when you're playing like Syracuse and Lafayette. Like he could probably get you through those two games. So in that sense, I'm feeling better about the room as a whole than I was two weeks ago. I can agree with that too. I mean, we, from what we've seen and what we've heard too, like Ada Duffy's obviously had, you know, the, the growing pains in fall camp, which 
quite frankly, I would be more concerned if he wasn't, if he was basically being the best QB out there, like, oh, no, that's kind of not a good thing. But you're right. I mean, you see him in practice. The ball, I mean, the arm strength is there. The footwork drills, I probably, I think he does have the best footwork out of all three QBs. I mean, I don't know if you watched that video like the other day where it was like him, Rodemaker, and Duffy, I'm sorry, and Travis. Basically, I think Adu kind of stuff to me, but a little more, a little more compact now. We'll see how if it translates to the field. But to me, he's someone that six, maybe six, seven weeks of learning and actually acclimating to the playbook, and also like being committed to committed to the team on and off the field. So hopefully, we'll basically be able to see the other week seven game, week eight game. If Jordan somehow, you know, history has shown that he gets hurt. If he actually has to come out for a game, I wouldn't be basically clutching my pearls and basically praying to God for Andrew Duffy to basically just be serviceable. Which I think when we get to that point, he will be more than okay. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, that being said, I've, I've seen two throws by Tate Rodemaker, and he's still, man, that guy cannot look off. Like, it, he just, same thing, snaps the ball, stares at the receiver, then throws it, and you're like, dude, just look a diff- look somewhere else for a, a second. Good, he has such a good arm, too. And it's just like, he's like, I see I see the potential in you. It's just, it's just, I don't know. Don't know. I think it's just in between. I, just, I think it's just in between the head right now. It's just coach. I think it's coaches' kids, man. I really do. I, I think that coaches' kids are always better than they should be because they were a coach. He's just so polished and so like. I just don't think there's there's much. And that's not. I don't want to say it that way because he is really athletic. I, I'm he's trying to kind of say athletic. this. No, it's just like it's it's like he's. He it's almost it almost seems like when you watch him, he's been overtaught how to play the position of quarterback in a way, so he doesn't. There's no like fluidity to his game. It's very it's not like creative. It's very just textbook based stock photo. Yeah, it's, which it's you see it a lot in hockey where basically speaking, when the young kids are playing, you're they're taught to specifically do a certain thing. But then you know right. when they reach you know college or the NHL, where you need the creativity actually to kind of basically separate yourself from the pack to be even a solid contributor. If you're just your in your cookie cutter ways, if you don't go, if you don't venture past that, or if you do, you kind of fail. That's kind of the issue I think I see with Tate Rodemaker. Yeah, and there's got to be there's got to be a natural fluidity. Like, I, let me put it this way: there should be technical deficiencies that make their way into what you do, and you never get out of there, and they work. Like, no one is tech is perfect from a technical perspective, and that's a good thing. The example I was talking to somebody about this uh, last week actually, I was like, look, it's it's like when. When someone is talking about golf swings and they're like, oh, you want to make sure you keep your head down on the ball during your swing, I instantly know they don't know what they're talking about because it's like that is true when you're seven and then you get to a certain level of golf and it's like, no, your head shouldn't stay still because like for me to generate power, I, I kind of want to keep it on the center line, but like my head's going to sway a bit and it's going to come up with the ball and that works and I've spent a lot of time with people that you know do that for a living teaching me you know, how to, how to swing a golf club, right? Like it's not a, it, it shouldn't look so technically perfect that it looks rigid. So for example, like I look at the footwork stuff and, uh, you know, you look at Travis and just look at how connected his head, his shoulders, his waist, his knees, his ankles all kind of look. Whereas like you look at Duffy and you look at Rodemaker and they look, there's almost like a line drawn at their waist because it's just, they're not as fluid, right? Because they're younger, um, but that's the way the quarterback position should look, right? Like every throwing motion has room for critique, you know, like, yeah. but it should look like your throwing motion. And with Tate, it, it does, but it looks like he's trying so hard to be technically perfect that, that right. Creativity, maybe, I don't know, but 
look the other way for 10 seconds and stop staring down your receiver because that's why you, last year you threw like five passes and three of them were interceptions. It's like he only thinks there's one specific way to play QB and he's doing his damnedest to kind of stick to the one thing he's learned that's gotten to this point right, right. now, which is where it's hard for basically for a lot of kids to improve in a lot of sports. I saw it all the time when I was younger, basically uh, with a pitcher. There's a lot of reasons why a lot of them are not home, like myself, and there's other ones that I know actually are teaching MLB now. But yeah, that's enough for today. Max, you got anything else? No, man, I'm all sad. I think I think the people have gotten enough of QB school by us two morons. So uh, it, the reality is, dude, I'm excited about the season. I think the I'm glad we started off the question about depth. I mean, I think the I think the depth is going to be a key piece to how this team performs this year. And uh, if we can stay healthy, I think that it could be a, a pretty pretty exciting year compared to what we've seen for the past two. Yeah, we're gonna win eight games this year, folks and folks. That's all we have for today. Tune in tomorrow for another edition of your favorite daily Florida State Seminoles podcast. Max, let them know what to do on the YouTube and also on the uh, podcast mediums. Folks, if you are here with us on YouTube, thank you, first of all. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you turn on notifications. There's a bell at the top of your corner. That way you get notified when the episodes drop and you don't have to go looking for them, uh, even though we know you would regardless. And make sure that you like the individual video, but most importantly, Comment down below. Give us your feedback. Give us your questions. Let us know what you want us to talk about, and we'll talk about it because ultimately, we are here to serve you. So thanks for being here, folks. We love you. Can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. And take care, everybody.